Hello, film lovers, and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast. The Films I Love Most podcast is recorded live with live messaging. So sometimes people do message in with very inappropriate comments. We can't help that. It's just the general public. So if you hear something that is offensive or rude, we try our best to put a stop to it, but it might just sneak through. So I do apologize for that. But anyway, let's move on. Enjoy this episode of the Films I Love Most podcast. My dear. Hello. (gasps) There you are. Yay. Oh, (laughs) was there a problem your end? It was, I, it, I was trying to connect and I was waiting and it just wasn't working. And then it showed that you were calling me again. And I said, well, what's happening? I don't understand what's going on. So, yeah, it must have been. Oh, a oh, there's a ghost in the system. It's oh. a little bit glitchy today. It is. I'm just trying to find. Hang on. Oh. Of course. Okay. There we go. But, hello. But we made it. Welcome here. Hello. We made it. We always do in the end. What time is it there for you, Mrs. Smitty? Uh, it's one in the afternoon. Oh, that's not. Have you had your lunch? No, I don't. I'm. I had some coffee, and uh, I may have another cup of coffee. I haven't really gotten to the food part of my day yet. <laughs> How about you? The moment I open my eyes, it's the food part of my day. Oh, really? No, I wait hours <laughs> before I eat anything. I don't have a bite yeah. of food for hours after I wake up. I, don't yeah, know I always have a rumbly tumbly in the mornings and then before bed, like nothing. Like by about five o'clock, I'm not hungry anymore. But I eat a lot up to that point. I'm not oh, hungry okay. Enough. I'm kind of the reverse. Yeah. I could I could fall asleep with the sandwich in my hand. But no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good uh, look. That's a good look. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Yeah. Welcome. We're going to start uh, very, very shortly. Uh, just to let you know that this is more of a the sort of discussion talk and then we can have some messages near the end it's just uh if any of you mm-hmm. uh joined us for our uh jack the ripper discussion then you'll know how it sort of works with uh some fascinating facts around this case mrs smitty did you do any research i don't know a thing about this case no i was waiting That's to be surprised by you oh i okay, didn't i didn't want to know thing. the thing is obviously not working <laughs> What's up? Um, oh, I've got moderation. I've got moderation, but messages coming through. Are we being moderated by from both ends? Oh, we are. Oh, we are. That's fine. Excellent. That's okay. I thought I was going mad. Although, I'm You're not, not. going to lie to you. I have gone a little bit mad whilst researching this case. This case, to me, is actually more dark and disturbing than Jack the Ripper. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I made it. I made a point to not learn anything about it because I wanted to hear it straight from you. Um, so I don't know a thing. Okie dokie. Well, we'll get started very shortly. Um, okay. Just to let you know, guys. Uh, disclaimer. Spring heel jack. Mm. Just a little disclaimer here. There might be some um, conversation in this chat that some of you might find triggering or disturbing. It does involve murder. Um, and um, assault. So if you are a little bit delicate, as was I <laughs> when I was doing the research <laughs> for this, 
Um, actually, I didn't find it as bad. I just found it a little bit more sort of otherworldly than uh, Jack the Ripper. So that is the, the disturbing um, ness Ooh, of. It's like Jack. a paranormal kind of thing, maybe. There's there's a lot with me. I cannot wait for you to okay. uh, to solve this to solve this mystery okay. for me. Okay, I'm very excited. <laughs> okay, should we hit the, get these ditties down before we start? Let's do it. Greetings, everyone. How is everyone doing today? I wanted to wish you guys a great day. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, what's up? Hello. Have a good stream, I'm viewing. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Hello. Have a good stream. Yo, yo, yo. What's going on, people? What's going on, Miss Mitty? How you doing, Keith? Hope everything's Hiya. going well. Stereo Mystery, the riddle of Spring Hilled Jack. Oh, I've never heard of Spring Hilled Jack, so I'm going to be listening in. Neither have I. I'm so excited. I'm really shocked by the amount of people that haven't heard about Spring Hill Jack. It's really shocking. He's like more. Well, you're here. I don't want to give too much away, but there is a lot of stuff that Spring Hill Jack and the longevity of Spring Hill Jack's attacks. You'll see um, he went on for much longer than um, old Jack did. Oh, he had stamina. Hmm. Spring Hill Jack. A lot more stamina. Were you James Gordon, uh, Gordon, the Late Late Show? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this thing on stereo. If anyone asks me if I am someone, I just say yes. It's more fun that way. I'm Louis Theroux, apparently. Jack the Ripper is like my favorite story. I'm so happy you guys are covering this. Oh, we've covered Jack the Ripper in our last episode, but this episode is Spring Hill Jack. But you can go back and listen. Mm-hmm. But you should hear this one too, because I predict that it will be exciting. Yeah, Jack the Ripper one was intense. I mean, Spring Hill Jack. <laughs> I realized I made a mistake there. Oh, that's okay. Oh, no Trick worries. or Trish might be the only person so far besides you who knows the story already. Okay. I don't know it. Settle in, everyone. Grab a drink. Sit in a darkened room if you can with your headphones in with your eyes closed because you're about to get taken back to the summer of 1837. So this is pre-Jack the Ripper. Ooh, okay. Remember, this is 1880s was Jack the Ripper, but we're going back Mm -hmm. to 1830s. Okay, so England had just seen Queen Victoria take the throne. Okay, and her ascension saw an industrial, cultural, scientific, and political change throughout the country. And it was opening many doors of opportunity. But on the other hand, it was also tightening uh, social restrictions and causing a very uneven fear for many uh, freedoms. For some, meant a lot of restrictions for others. So London was a city of enlightenment, whilst the surrounding countryside uh, held on to an, uh, like an ever-increasing unpopular belief. So London was this thing of you know Crystal Palace and um, scientific and cultural sort of steps forward but the surrounding areas in england were still quite super uh, superstitional that's not a word superstitious superstitious mm-hmm. <laughs> superstitional that's new i'm having that that's going in the dictionary <laughs> uh, we keep it. i'll allow we it keep that. <laughs> so uh yeah there's huge unrest at this time if you remember when we were going back to um 
when we're talking about Jack the Ripper, this Jack the Ripper is sort of 40, 50 years in the future compared to this. So uh, there was a huge unevenness when it comes to uh, class, when it comes to, uh, you know, the areas in London specifically in which you live. So this is where it all really started was in this decade when Queen, Le- okay. uh, Queen Victoria, sorry, had come to the throne. Uh, this is when she started to put her ideals across and her sort of impression on what kind of a queen that she was going to be, because this is literally the year that she is coronated. So this is how everything is going to go forward. And of course, unfortunately, we've already done a bit of time travel. We know where a lot of these decisions that she makes uh, end up in the 1880s uh, with a huge cultural um, and uh, class divide, which is really upsetting. So um, in the autumn of 1837, three months after Queen Victoria's coronation, uh, rumours of strange appearances had started circulating around South London. Okay, and as the evenings grew darker and colder in September, um, in the London district of Barnes, a series of ghoulish sightings was reported. Mysterious ghostly images of a pale white ghoul that had been stalking women. Okay. Now, I know that Mrs. Smitty loves getting onto the Google Maps and taking Mm -hmm. herself right deep down into those Here I am in Barnes, London. Barnes, London. How is it looking? You know, uh, these are modern pictures of Barnes, London. So I see shops and some people on bicycles. It looks like there's some sort of a waterfront. Hmm. Exactly. Keep your eyes open. Then you might see Jack somewhere hovering Ooh, in the corner. Okay. But it, it looks lovely. It's on the or... it's on the riverside. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that'd be the Thames. Yeah, the river. Oh, Thames. okay. It looks very nice. So yeah, there we go. So if any of you are no. following along, do get it. It up. wasn't so nice back then. Um, it wasn't too bad. It was South London, so it was um wasn't. Um, like as desperate as the places that we spoke about in Jack the Ripper talk, but again, um, it had its rich areas and its poor areas. Okay. So Barnes, I think, was sort of uh, on the seesaw of the of poor and and rich and the like the upper and middle classes. Um. So in October 1837, a girl named Mary Stevens was walking to Lavender Hill where she was working as a servant after visiting her parents in Battersea. Okay. On her way through Clapham Common, a strange figure leapt at her from a dark alley. After immobilizing her in a tight grip of his arms, he began to kiss her face while ripping her clothes and touching her flesh with his claws, which were according to her disposition, cold and clammy as, as those of a corpse. In panic, the girl screamed, making the attacker quickly flee from the scene. The commotion brought several residents who immediately launched a search for the aggressor, but he could not be found. The next day, the leaping character is said to have chosen a very different victim near near Mary Stevens' home. Using a method that would appear in later reports, he jumped in the way of a passing carriage, causing the coachman to lose control crash and severely injure himself several witnesses claimed that he escaped by jumping over nine foot um he jumped over a nine foot wall uh, while uh, cackling in a high pitched ringing laughter oh. mrs smitty 
we've just been introduced to our protagonist in this story, Spring Hill Jack. And he this can jump is, nine uh, feet and he has claws. Yeah. He has claws, oh. as, we'll, as we will learn later. Um, his claws are not necessarily um, made from him. They could oh, no. be manufactured out of another material. Okay. He seems really yeah. scary. Mm-hmm. Keith Andrew, my, my Google search brought up a beautiful home for sale. Whereabouts? In in this this in Barnes, London. Oh, lovely. It's this, this does not look moving. like it looks like I found the rich side of Barnes, London. <laughs> <laughs> it it looks rather lovely. Okay. That's the place where I dare um bring Hill Jack to treads. Yeah, you know, I'm not, not afraid. Not if he's if he's there, it looks worth it. I would lock the doors on this lovely home <laughs> and just be fine in there. Maybe st- maybe now, just stay stay indoors in the evenings. Now. That's it. Don't come out at the night time and you'll be fine. Now, like, what's the price of that? It's £1,850,000. Which is probably close to pretty, maybe $2 million? Maybe $2 million. Two? It's pretty dollars. expensive. There you go. It's very nice. It's a lovely. It's a lovely <laughs> place. I'm gonna bring it up with Mr. Smitty later and see what he thinks. But <laughs> it looks pretty. Tell him nice. I'll be. I'll do the gardening. I'll, I'll say gardening, Keith Andrew. Keith that, Andrew please. said that this is where we should be. It looks like it has a lovely garden. Also, <laughs> Might keep you busy. Now, the, one of the weirdest things about Spring Hill Jack is that he's not always um, clothed in the way that he is was seen in the um the mary stevens attack so the mary stevens attack she described him as sort of um a thin gaunt ghoul-like looking creature uh with sharp claws uh cold and clammy as if he was a corpse so that was his description but later descriptions um and we're, we're not talking that later we're talking like a few months later when he was witnessed again he was seen to be dressed as a bear. Oh. So in East Sheen, here's a place for you, Mr. Smee. East Sheen. Uh, okay. A vi- um, the vision took um, the guise of a ghostly bear. Notably, the bear, or the ghost bear, only appeared in the darkest evenings, stalking and attacking women, um, leaving many to suffer from fright. Now, this is a um, something that I want you to take note of, listeners and Mrs. Smitty. Um, when, the, when the newspaper articles and when the courts and the police talk about Spring Hill Jack's attacks on women, I just want to focus on their descriptions. So they use the phrases um, or like suffering from fright, take, uh, swooning, you know, taking ill. So... Not, the women are not necessarily being um, physically harmed <clears throat> by Spring Hill Jack, but a, they're just a being lot scared. Of, yes, and a lot of sort of um, mental sort of harm being done to them. And we're going to talk about that later because I went really deep down into why the Victorians used this language to describe Spring Hill Jack's um, attacks. And I think you'll find yeah. it very interesting, if not a little bit disturbing. So, um, okay. As the story spread, the form of the ghost altered from a bull to a bear to a humanoid figure. And by the time the figurehead had crossed from the city of London, 
Uh, the sightings were of an earthly warrior clad in armor, spring shoes, and a large glove. So, large, clawed glove. So, so, these are the main okay. descriptions that we're getting of Jack. Okay. Yeah. So, I'm feeling a little more comfortable that it maybe is not like a real monster, but someone who's okay. wearing, okay, monster claws and things like that. I'm glad that you're feeling comfortable. <laughs> for, for now. Also, I've also yeah. I've found a, I've found a property for us to purchase in East Sheen as well. Oh, okay. There you go. Put it on the list. I'm putting it on the list. Yeah. Now, I will say, uh, listeners, if you can, if you have a separate device, uh, you can go to Instagram. Mine or Mr. Smith's Instagram. There is a uh, short trailer for this conversation that I put on there, and in the short trailer, I used a lot of images that have been sort of uh, illustrated or drawn for the look of Spring Hill Jack. So if you want to have a look at that trailer, uh, you can do. There's a lot of really interesting images on there about artist impressions and even police impressions of what the victims said that Jack looked like. And um, it they do alter and change, but there is some very, very stark similarities, especially his height, um, what he's wearing, i.e. a cloak and you know the boots and everything that he wears. Uh, where he gets the name from. So I would have a look at that, see if you can find any similarities between his um, his guys and his appearance, because it's really interesting uh, to see how so many differences there are, but then so many similarities as well. And they were all drawn by different people. So, Ooh, okay. um, yeah. So in, in John's Wood, a similar armor-clad figure appeared, this time with the ability to change its shape and at times dressed in armor and other times dressed as a bear. So all of these um, descriptions that I'm giving, and when I'm mentioning the place and the descriptions, these have all come from newspaper reports. Okay. So I, so all the newspaper reports that have been released on uh, the appearance of Spring Hill Jack, all of these descriptions come from there. So okay. as the rumors spread throughout the winter, speculations of the ghost's origins begin to circulate but many believed it to be a supernatural uh, to be supernatural but not all were convinced so the first newspaper entry links to spring hill jack came on the 28th of december 1837 uh, it, li- it linked the appearances of the apparition to a group of pranksters now what do you think of this mrs me so the report said some scoundrel in a bear skin and where in spring shoes has been jumping to run through before foot passages and in the neighborhood of Lewisham and has in one or two instances greatly alarmed females. This feat is said to um, decide a wager he has undertaken to play as these freaks over a number of nights in different parishes, 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 can't say that word uh, without being apprehended a sharp lookout however is being kept after him and there is little doubt that he will be at the loser he has been named still jack by the res- residents of lewisham many of whom are afraid to leave their homes after dark so that's very dickensian language which even i as an englishman find it difficult to get my head around sometimes but basically what's that saying is that Spring Hill Jack at this point was said to have been uh, a prankster who was mm-hmm. committing these acts 
of, um, you know, violent acts and acts to scare women in a way to earn money. It's a wager. So someone has bet ah, him. To someone's that. put him up to it. They've bet him that he yeah. can't get away with doing this a few times. And so he's yeah. doing this essentially as a dare. Yeah, so he has undertaken to play at these freaks. So he's play. He's like taken on the guise of these freaks, i.e., the bear, i.e., the 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 you know the corpse-like figure, over a number of nights in different parishes. However, uh, without being apprehended, so he's basically going around London to different places, and is trying to scare as many people as possible as a wager to win this bet. But obviously, um, as we know from the first attack, you know. Again, it seems very similar to the conversation we were having about Jack the Ripper, where, you know, Jack the Ripper seems to have a task to perform, but always took it too far. Right. Yeah, I would be inclined, you know, if I'm if I'm living in London in the 1830s or whatever, uh, and they say, oh, don't worry, this is just some sort of like a a prank. Right. I guess I'd be inclined Mm -hmm. to believe it. Um, particularly when it, you know, there's like a bear costume and all of these things. Um, it sounds like believable that it would be just someone playing a prank. Absolutely. I'd go for that. They could sell me on this one. So this report, uh, um, marks the, an important milestone in the case of Spring Hill Jack, because firstly it marks the transition from, um, oral to written. So this had been something that had only been spoken about before this uh, newspaper article. It's now in print form. And until now, the encounters were like spoken of as like gossip or rumor. And secondly, the name Still Jack uh, was an attempt to name the apparition. And this article did, however, pave the way for recognition that is yet to come. So this was the very first article to um, talk about these attacks to link some of the attacks together and to give him like his first name which was steel jack as in steel as in the metal steel jack okay so i'm not going to google that started. because i don't want to spoil anything <laughs> for myself so far no, every absolutely. google i've come up with i've also found a house in uh john's wood in london <laughs> so it's just yeah. become some sort of um estate agent I'm going to become like a real estate mogul in the UK. I've found three lovely homes so far for myself and Smitty to go and tour. So far, the first one was my favorite, though. Sure. Well, I can't wait to move down. I can show you around. Okay, perfect. I'll send you I'll send you the link so that you can be prepared and and uh, plan to come do our gardening as you have volunteered. (laughs) I love gardening. Just to let you know, I love it. It's my time to stick my headphones in, listen to an audiobook, and and be one with the weeds. I also love gardening. Can I ask a completely unrelated <laughs> question, really quickly? Sure. I see. Sure. I see a red like telephone box, um, mm-hmm. like Doctor Doctor Who style, in um mm-hmm. one of these pictures. Do they still have those in London? Is that still a thing? Yeah, the red telephone boxes, yes, but um, okay. the police the police boxes of which. Uh, Doctor Who's TARDIS is uh, the model from uh, there is only one of those left and that's in Earl's Court so if you're a Doctor Who fan you can google Earl's Court police box and it will show you the last existing police box in London 
Uh, it's fascinating to see. I've had many photographs uh, next to it. But that used Men to be how money. people called the police. Yeah, and also it was a makeshift uh, cell. Oh, So okay. Yeah, so it could be used as a makeshift cell or it could be used as a place where a policeman goes in to have his cup of tea and a sandwich in peace and quiet. I like that. I like that. Everybody needs a place yeah. like that. I bet the, poli- the, the, the red telephone boxes are still a thing and there's still telephones inside yeah, them and everything. Neat. Yeah. Okay. Well, it links very okay, nicely cool. to this because obviously those police boxes were on the street corners at this time. You know, they made sure. an appearance in this, in this century. Um, like, I mean, in the, um, the 19th, um, 19th century. So, you know, this is the time when police boxes would have been used uh, quite regularly on the street. Ah, okay. Perfect. So when we catch Springhill Jack, this is how it's going to happen. We're going to sure. do this. Well, I'm going to pause because we, we're going to move in to 1838 now, uh, January the 8th. But before we do that, I just want to get these messages down. So I'm just going to hit some. Okay. I'm going to go on mute and make my. Okie dokie. Okay. What is Springfield or Springfield, Springfield, Springfield Jack? And how is he different from Jack the Ripper? Keep listening, my friend. Keep on listening. You are James Gordon. Uh, what happened to your show? The Late Late Show. James Gordon. <laughs> Hello. Hello. We need the monarchy to uh, maintain Britain's power uh, around the globe. Interesting. Is that true? No. Okay. No, we need the monarchy for tradition and to bring tourists to the UK. That's what we need the monarchy Love for. Love you, Keith and Smitty. What is this mystery? The riddle of spring Heel Jack. I don't know shit about that. Boop, 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 boop. That's why we're doing the talk, Joey. That's where I live. We're neighbors, probably. <laughs> Is that how much the house weighs? Not weighs, cost. Where is the legend of Springhill Jack based? Uh, it's based in London. London Town. Ah! <gasps> ah! Okay, Mrs. Smitty, we're going to January 1838 now, okay? And, and just after a week... Um, Sorry, so on January the 8th, 1838, just um, after a week, after the first report of Steel, uh, uh, Steel Jack hits the headlines, okay, the city Lord Mayor, Sir John Cohen, made a public address concerning a letter that he received from a concerned member of the public. And the letter said, it appears that some individuals of, as the writer believes, the highest ranks of life, have laid a wager with a mischievous and foolhardy companion that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises, a ghost, a bear, and the devil. And moreover, that he will not enter a gentleman's gardens for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted, and the unmanly villain 
has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom are not likely to recover, but to become burdens on their family. At one house, the man rung the bell, and on the servant coming to the door, his worse than brute stood in no less dreadful figure than a spectre clad most perfectly. The consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned and has never from that moment been in her senses. The affair has now been going on for some time, and strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. The writer has reason to believe that they have the whole history at their fingertips, but, though in, through interested motives, are induced to remain silent. What are the interested motives? I don't understand. Mm. So um, if anyone's like that language again, Victorian language, if anyone's listening and be like, don't. Well, what um, did he say? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, again, it's reliterating the uh, the theory that someone has taken out a wager. Someone has bet someone to go around and frighten the residents of many of these towns in London. Um, and the wager has been accepted and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses. So he's going around. Now, that means... The, um, what did they mean by he deprived them of their senses? He like scared Basically, the life out of he them, kind scared of scared the living daylights out of them. Yeah, and it says two of these out of the seven are not likely to recover, but will become a burden on their families. So it's their nerves, their mental state, but their mental health. They're so traumatized. Yeah, they're so traumatized that they have not recovered from sure. the fright that they received. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but he hasn't um, it, physically harmed anyone at this point. Nobody's died or anything not, like that. No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, but there's the story of the man coming. Uh, the man he rang the bell. The servant came to the door, um, saw the figure clad most perfectly. So that means dressed like up in like the most scariest outfit, looking like a spectre, looking like something that is ghastly and disturbing. Uh, the consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned, so she passed out. And um, has never from that moment been in her senses. So again, her mental health has been massively affected by it. Um, so the affair has been going on for some, quite some time. And the writer of this letter does believe that the press are not reporting it because they know exactly what's going on. But the press, in some way, shape or form, are benefiting from this wager. Now, who did they send this letter to? They sent this letter to uh, the Mayor of London, Sir, uh, Sir John Cohen. Oh, okay. So it's going to, like, really basically to the top. Like, the, the Mayor of London at this time was the top dog, so to speak. So if there's okay. any corruption going on in the in the press, you know, he's the one that was going to deal with it. Mm. So I'm being very British. I've got a cup of tea here as well, just to add to the... Oh, uh, I'm, about to, the I'm about to go get my coffee, list. yes. <laughs> So another gentleman also described another attack in which um, a blacksmith's flesh had been scratched with iron claws. And another occasion, he tore the dress of a woman straight off of her back. Oh. So we know we were talking earlier about uh, the claws and things. Well, it was, it was the first time that someone had mentioned that um, the claws were made of 
uh, metal um, or iron. So that was how he was being able to inflict uh, wounds on his victims. Um, and that's you know, how he became known as that, Steel Jack, I suppose. Uh, yeah, Spring. No, it's healed. It's actually healed. So it's Spring healed. So Spring and then healed is. Um, but wasn't he earlier Steel Jack? Oh, Steel Jack. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so Steel okay. Jack. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think that that's the reason, or it could be because of the armor that he was wearing. So okay. there's a little bit of confusion about why Steel Jack was the uh, the name given to him, but there are some varying. Um, but Spring Heeled Jack is just basically, I think it's referring to the fact that he can jump nine foot, which he did yes, so well I can't jump nine feet. Yes, I I, could take, I I struggle with nine inches, let alone nine <laughs> feet. Yes, probably <laughs> same. Probably same. Yeah. So he's tearing like clothing. He's tearing like clothing off of a, of women you know he's he's very aggressive very um like his motives are very unclear but he's very aggressive so these accounts mirrored others um in which a man in polished steel armor and red shoes attacked a carpenter called Jones who had been jumped um jumped on in Cutthroat Lane Jones however was described as a powerful man and he fought back but the attacker tore his clothes to ribbons and fled. So this guy, Jones, um, who was attacked by supposedly Spring Hill Jack, was described as a powerful man. And yet he really okay. struggled against him as well and ended up being like really injured and hurt by the fact that the attacker again tore at his clothes and at his flesh. So, so we know that he's very strong. Very strong indeed. Yeah. So okay. whoever or whatever the attacker is, he is apparently at this point becoming more and more violent. Yes, because that's what I was going to say, because we've made it through several attacks and nobody has died. And it doesn't seem like anyone has sustained life-threatening injuries. They've had some some scratches, some some cuts and things. But nobody. Swoon. Don't forget the swooning, so Mr. Smitty. And the swooning, and the swooning, <laughs> indeed. But uh, but it doesn't important. seem he hasn't he hasn't killed anyone yet. Where in Jack the Ripper, we saw that he was he just straight away started killing them. He was brutalizing pretty much from the word right. go. Whereas Jack yeah. seems to be more. And this is why I find it slightly more in, like disturbing in some ways. But Jack the Ripper seemed to have like an MO. He was out there. He was attacking these women. He wanted these women dead. Uh, Spring Hill Jack seems to be doing it much more for his pleasure rather than to actually have an end game of killing someone. So he's, in, he's enjoying the infliction that he's causing rather than the actual death. Because Jack the Ripper like killed his victims very quickly and then sort of, sorry, listeners, got to work yeah. afterwards after they were dead. right spring hill jack seems to be taking ultimate pleasure in seeing someone scared seeing the fear He's, in people's faces seems to enjoy terrorizing them mm. which is slightly more like you know when someone takes huge pleasure in somebody else's pain is a little bit sort of gets under my skin a little bit what do you think yeah uh, yeah, it seems like, you know, like th what I've learned from true crime is there are people that uh, seem to have like a compulsion to kill, right? And so 
Uh, they don't draw it out. They just like, like we saw in Jack the Ripper, they find their victim and they kill them. And then they do whatever kind of terrible thing, you know, in Jack the Ripper's case, um, you know, did terrible things to the bodies of his victims afterwards. Um, but this one, it seems like the, the psychological sort of uh, terrorizing of these women is the game. And it's not just yeah. women, correct? No, not just women. There have been men, male victims as well. As, as, Got it. As far as I know at the moment, uh, the, the attacks have both, mostly been on women. Um, we're about to find out, though, that women are not exclusive to Spring Hill Jack's terrorism. Ooh, and, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So thank you very much for joining us, guys. We are working our way through the riddle of Spring Hill Jack. Uh, if you're just joining yes, we us, are. Uh, we're, we're, we're just getting into the nitty gritty of the story. Uh, Mrs. Smitty, are you holding on? Are you ready? I am holding on. I am ready. I don't feel like I should be saying this to you. I think if Mr. Smitty is listening in the back room, I'm more scared for him having nightmares. He's than not you. listening. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Smitty, Mr. Smitty is busy. He's in the midst of his work day. Um, I'm not oh, sure okay. if he is even in the room listening, but shout out to him if he is. Um, he's a busy, he's a busy little bee today. He is, he is. I'm loving our Star Wars we watches. Sorry, just to throw that in. Yeah, so is he. uh, He loves it. Oh, it's so good. Right, so despite the letter that Mayor Cohen, um, Mayor Cohen remained sceptical, observing that as our friends on the other side of the Atlantic do say, um, it was extraordinary if true. So he's quoting Mm -hmm. the Americans. That's yep. a, that was an American. Apparently, that's what you Americans used to say in Victorian times. It's, it was extraordinary, if true. Do you still yeah, say that? Yeah, sus- but we're suspicious. I haven't heard that, no. But I might start saying that. I wrote it down in a little post-it. Yeah. <laughs> um, extraordinary, if true. It was extraordinary, if true. He then went on to suggest that the handwriting of the letter... Okay, are you ready for some huge dollop of victorian misogyny okay that the handwriting of the letter belongs to a woman who had been a victim of an attack and lost her senses how would they know that by the handwriting i know this is typical america uh, sorry not american victorian (laughs) freudian slip victorian (laughs) mentality it works either way it works either way victorian mentality that you know the handwriting is of a woman and if it is from a woman you know a a lady writing a letter to the mayor god forbid you know so therefore she must have lost her senses because why else would she write to the mayor exactly but he dodged responsibility for the attacks because they didn't actually take place in the city of london so he like a little weasel managed to um not have to do much around uh, this case because he managed to get out of it from um, for the fact that he didn't have to take the responsibility because it took place um, on the outskirts at the moment. At the moment. So many letters uh, followed from concerned residents claiming to have witnessed the figure of Jack. Many speculating that he was just a common thief, but others claiming that his attacks had caused insanity and in some cases, death of his victims. Now, this is the first time that we actually hear about um, Spring Hill Jack causing someone death. But people right. are claiming that there are deaths linked to him, although the police 
subsequently denied that. Okay. So that I was wondering, I was wondering when it was hmm. going to take this turn. We didn't know. We don't know whether it is death from his actual physical attack or whether it was death from the after effects, i.e. the mental health that it caused. Obviously, we're hearing a lot about women who have been scarred for life. Uh, we're going to talk about that massively uh, very, very soon because I have a theory of my own um, and having to look into some into that theory, a lot of other people think the same. So, um, okay. yes. So, da, 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 sometimes death. Um, it was suggested that the police themselves had taken fright from uh, Steel Jack, removing patrols from some of the areas that he had been sighted. Oh, so even the police don't want anything to do with this. They're like, no, thank you. You all are on your own. Yeah. Hop even in that police, police box like... if you have any problem. <laughs> but isn't that weird? Like, this is something that the police should be investigating. This is something that they should be actively on patrols make sure you know when we had jack the ripper like 40 years in 40 years time um you know we had active patrols the police were you know very present in the places where jack was seemingly seeming to be operating so at this point well and i would think if you're a police officer you've signed up for this this is your your you've accepted the responsibility to go to you know the places where the scary people are and handle them this is your whole job. Sure. But I'm thinking that because of this case and because of what's coming, you know, you, you know I love to do a cliffhanger, but for what's uh-huh. coming, I do think that maybe this is why Spring Hill Jack had a direct effect on the case of Jack the Ripper. Because I do think Ooh. that maybe um, the failings in the case of Spring Hill Jack, were taken, looked at, examined, and therefore different procedures were put in place when it came to Jack the Ripper. Okay, I could see that. You like to think yeah. that we learn from our mistakes, yes, and try not to yeah. repeat them. So this would be, Absolutely. yeah, an opportunity perhaps to learn from the mistakes they're going to make this first time. I see the mistakes I- coming already. Sure, and I think the problem with uh, Spring Hill Jack was that the details of the attacker were becoming wilder and wilder at this point. Um, And in one report, there was a description that he was a figure clad in a bare skin. I'm doing it in Scottish accent. Once drawn aside, (laughs) (laughs) resembled a human skeleton in chainmail with a long horn that like the emblem of hell itself. That was a description given to him in the Sun newspaper back okay. in the 1888. So that was actually a description of him. I was going to do that one more time. A cl- a do it again, yeah. clad in bare skin, once drawn aside, resembled a human skeleton in chainmail with a long horn, the emblem of hell itself. So he's got bare really? skin and chainmail. Yeah. yeah. And then, so he's in a bear okay. skin, he removes the bear skin underneath. He's a chain mailed skeleton. Okay. Can you, this, is, this is all I pretty no scary. Idea. This is all yeah. pretty scary to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the newspapers themselves yeah. couldn't decide whether the attacks were being carried out by a trickster 
or the devil. Okay, they they had these discussions in the tabloid newspaper. Were these attacks being carried out by a thief, a trickster, a criminal, or was it something supernatural? Was it the devil himself? Can you imagine that? I mean, I know they talked about Trump in some weird ways, but they're talking about but the devil in, himself. Yeah. These are extreme. Um, these are extreme terms that they're using. Yeah. One obviously is grounded in fear, like the tricks of the criminal, the devil, and the um, of terrifying reality, and the other in a supernatural way to capture the imaginations of the public for many years to come. And when I say many years to come, we're still talking about it, and this is nearly like two hundred years ago, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean, we're still talking about this now. So um, we're going to be moving on um, to. Uh, this is where it really, really takes a weird turn. Takes a very strange turn. So, okay. um, should we, we get through a couple of ditties? Uh, yes, let's do that. And I'm going to run and grab, I bet my coffee is finished now. I'm going to go pick out my cup of coffee from the kitchen while we read through coffee. these. Coffee. And then Before you continue further into the story, do you think that Spring Hill Jack's uh, ability to leap from rooftop to rooftop or leap over nine foot walls uh, was technology ahead of his time or if he was actually like a supernatural figure just just if you think that as of right now very very interesting and i'm actually going to make a note of that question because i want to come back to that at the end 100 percent. because we're going to have a q a guys at the end also don't think that you can't actively get involved in this show. We're going to have a Q&A um, and you guys can ask your questions. Of course you can. It's a stereo mystery. You can ask whatever you like. So technology or the supernatural. That's really interesting. We will 100% be coming back to that at the end. Thank you very How much. How do you friend. guys develop a love and an understanding for talking to each other for a long, long time? I mean, listen to Keith Andrew. He's wonderful. <laughs> He's one of my favorites to talk to. And Mrs. Smithy is my favorite. And I can't wait for her to move to London and live in loads of multi-million pound houses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait. Hey, um, how are you two? Um, Tommy just wanted to say hey and give you guys a lifetime of good luck. And, you know, it's not easy being green and... I couldn't imagine what it's like being any other color, but hope you guys have a wonderful day and night or whatever. But I don't know. Goodbye. Thanks. Thank goodbye. you, Kermit. Thank you, Kermit. Okay, Mrs. Smitty. Uh, have you got your uh, caffeine? I've got my favorite? coffee. I'm ready to Yay. go. Okay. Excited to hear so, how this ends. Mm-hmm. Or Whilst, the next chapter. Uh, still- this is the, I didn't. You know what? I didn't do it in chapters today. I thought I'd just do it in breath. Every that's time fine. I breathe, that's the next. Chapter. <laughs> okay, wonderful. <laughs> you know how it is. Works for so, me. Um, while uh, still simply referred to as the ghost or other supernatural variant, uh, on the thirteenth of January, the press ran a story with the headline "Spring Hill Jack," which summarized the oral accounts of his victims including one where children had reportedly seen him in the royal palace dancing in the moonlight before scaling a wall 
and disappearing into the churchyard. This article was unapologetic in its standpoint, declaring that its reporter had met many of the victims. So this is where the press are starting to get really, really interested to the point where they've actually now given him the name Spring Hill Jack. This is the first time that that name appeared uh, in a newspaper and therefore has titled him uh, in legend and myth. Okay. Yes. So, and they think he was dancing in the palace. Yeah, the royal palace dancing in the moonlight. Is that the same as from the actual article? Is that the same as Buckingham Palace? I would say the royal palace. So I would assume. Okay. It doesn't clarify. I've looked. I've actually looked at the clipping of the Mm -hmm. newspaper article, and it doesn't say anything about what palace it is. It just says that the children had seen him. Uh, in the royal palace, dancing in the moonlight before scaling a wall and disappearing into the churchyard. Now, there is a like um, a yard. It's not necessarily a churchyard, but um, it could be described as, as that in Victorian times. Well, and I did so, learn from the crown that it's easy to get into Buckingham Palace, apparently. Because yeah. that, man, that, that man was that able man to do it did. twice. Twice. Yeah, twice. Craziness. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Meanwhile, the reports continued rolling in in a way that could only be described, Mrs. Smitty, as a frenzy. The attacker seemed to be darting from one side of London to the other, now reportedly surrounded in a blue flame and carrying a lantern. This is the, um, the latest description of him in the newspaper. Surrounded by a blue flame and carrying a lantern. And the story that the attacker was a prankster undertaking his wicked deeds for a wager was called out to be connected with um, many high families, and that the wager was to profit the winner £500. Now, just to put that into perspective, that's 500000 now. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's nearly half a million pounds. Uh, his so this success, is big money for this prankster. This is big money. His success, and this, I'm sorry guys, this is disturbing. If you're listening and you don't like disturbing stuff, I'm sorry, but this disturbed me. So his success laying on the ability to ruin 30 people's lives. That's the wager. 30 oh, no. people's lives. This list how- had to include eight old bachelors, ten old maids, six lady, ladies' maids and as many servant girls as possible. So this was um, reported in a newspaper as that being the wager. I, For some reason, I found that really disturbing, which is why I gave the warning. Um, uh-huh. But the story itself uh, doesn't have or come with any hard evidence. It just seems to have been printed in the paper. There's no sources mentioned, uh, nothing like that. But now, does that point... seem to line up with, I mean, don't spoil anything, but does that seem mm-hmm. to line up with the actual victims? Well, yes. I mean, we've heard like the lady that was attacked at the beginning of the mm-hmm. story. And then we heard the uh, the servant maid. Who servant girl. Appearance. Right. The servant mm-hmm. girl. Yeah. So there are a lot of victims in this story that do match up to what the wager supposedly was, which I'll just say again, was eight old bachelors. Ten old maids, six ladies' maids, and as many servant girls as possible. 
and it had he had to ru- i mean these are the words used ruin 30 lives for the wager goodness it's it's despicable it's disgusting um so there, like i said there's no hard evidence of that wager it was just something that was reported in the newspaper but um there is evidence to say that that was what was going on so um okay. at the end of february approach uh one account was to cement the name of spring hill jack in the history books forever Okay. End of chapter. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, okay. End of chapter. But do you End want to play chapter. two ditties and then go on? Yeah, let's to play a couple. Account? Yo, please reply to this. This is sick. Um, this is my first time on this app, so uh, please give me some ideas. Thanks. Hello. Hello. Welcome. My idea is sit and listen to the next part of this chat. Keep listening. It it's getting so good. Okay. You're gay. Can I just say, guys, I'm absolutely loving this show. It's absolutely amazing. Um, guys, if you're not following Miss Smitty, if you're not following Keith Andrew, give him a follow because this is great, great content. Loving the show, people. Oh, thanks, Rish. Thanks so much, Rishi. Love that. Okay, Mrs. Smitty, here we go. Um, this account is going to cement the name of Spring Hill Jack in the history books for good. Okay, welcome to the Old Stop case. Okay. Jane Alsop reported that on the night of the 19th of February, 1838, she answered the door of her father's house to a man claiming to be a police officer who told her to bring a light, claiming we have caught Spring Hill Jack here in the lane. She brought the person a candle and noticed that he wore a large cloak. The moment he had she had handed him no, sorry the moment she had handed him the candle however he threw off the cloak and presented the most hideous and frightful appearance vomiting blue and white flame from his mouth whilst his eyes resembled red balls of fire Mrs Allsop reported that he wore a large helmet and that his clothing which appeared to be very tight fitting resembled white oil skin Without saying a word, he caught hold of her and began tearing her gown with his claws, which she was certain were made of some kind of metallic substance. She screamed for help and managed to get away from him and ran towards the house. He caught her on the steps and tore her neck and her arms with his claws. She was rescued by one of her sisters, um, after which her assailant fled. Assailant fled, sorry. Oh, wow. Immediately following the attack, Mr. Allsop offered an award of 10 guineas, leading to the arrest of the attacker, and this was bumped up to five pounds by the local parliament. And so, so that would uh, be... Yeah, this is a really, really important case, because this is the first time that he has attacked someone of um, a higher class, Mm-hmm. attack someone um literally in their home with extreme violence and also this you know this is the first proper description we've had of like what he's wearing you know i mean the the description is very dramatic it sure is as we were here later on um jane Allsop doesn't change a single 
word of her description, even later on in the um, inquiry, she never met. She never changes one like dot of her um, description, even though you'd think at the time she probably was shaken by the event, probably scared, and therefore her imagination was running over over time. But nope, she never changes. And and her sisters as well, as we'll hear later, her sisters also witnessed exactly the same thing. When they were taken away and interviewed, they all said the same thing. So, yeah, the police's K division uh, investigated the attack. One officer informing the courts uh, that similar several attacks had been reported across London over the past month. And he believed the attacker to be a lone wolf and not part of an organised gang of pranksters. And he fully believed the testimonies of the Allsop family. But others believed that the description given by Jane Allsop was much mistaken due to her fright. Now, I say fright. This is from an official document, this statement, fright. So, again, we're hearing about the... um, how frail females are in this time, or at, at least that's what they're observed by by the press, by the police, and by men in general. Be frail creatures, you know. Who's, so whose recount of the events can't be trusted because of their fright? Because of their fright, and you know the way that they are ailed, their mental health after the attacks. You know, it's very interesting, but. Um, They also highlighted that this attack was being investigated heavily by the police because it's a high class family, a family from, you know, of wealth, of property, of land. And therefore, the police have to be seen to be doing everything they can to solve this crime. But the other crimes that have been reported have not necessarily been from people of of a higher class and therefore haven't had the manpower that this case is getting. Uh, but the police did say that the attacks that have been reported have been taking place between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. in the evening. And this is really important because that is the exact time that police officers change over their shifts. Oh, so we think that the attacker must be aware of this. Must be aware, must be aware of the fact that the police officers at that time are changing shifts so therefore there'll be less police on the streets because obviously the police that are on the beat at the time uh, will be going back to the station to swap over with their colleagues mm-hmm. so there's less police attention on the streets so less police oh, during that hour exactly mm. Mm. so that's interesting to think that Spring, the, whoever Spring Hill Jack is is very aware of police procedure and of, of the timings so yeah, mm-hmm. that's something that I found really, really interesting. So the officer in charge declared that he didn't believe the attacker would strike again in the same area. Okay, this assumption he got very wrong indeed. Ooh, okay. Yeah, very wrong. Uh-oh. Going to separate this with a ditty. Fuck you. <laughs> well, we're getting... Like, right, I should have moderated the messages. I'm not sure. All right, uh, so basically... I think that was the, the same person, I think. Right, anyway, let's move on to the scales. Case, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> we didn't get any good ones there, but let's move on. The scales case. Okay, so on the 28th of February, 1838, nine days after the attack, 
on Mrs. Allsop. 18-year-old Lucy Scales and her sister were returning home after visiting their brother, a butcher who lived in the respectable part of Limehouse. Mrs. Scales stated in her disposition that, uh, to the police, that she and her sister were passing along Green Dragon Alley. They observed a person standing in an angle of the passage. She was walking in front of her sister at the time, and just as she came up to the person who was wearing a large cloak, he he spurted a quality sorry spurted a quantity of blue flame in her face. Where is the blue flame spurt- coming from? Yeah, in I'm her still face. puzzled by this part. I'm still puzzled by this part, which deprived her of her sight and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits that continued for several hours. Okay, there we are again. Violent fits that continued for several hours. Her brother added that on the evening in question, he had heard the loud screams of one of his sisters moments after they left his house, and on running up Green Dragon Alley, he found his sister Lucy on the ground having a fit with her sister attempting to hold and support her. She was taken home and he learned from his other sister what had happened. She described Lucy's assailant as being tall, thin, and gentlemanly with a gentlemanly appearance, covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lamp or bull's eye lantern, similar to those used by the police. The individual did not speak, nor did he try and lay his hands on them, but instead walked quickly away. Every effort was made by the police to discover the author of these and similar outrages, and several persons were questioned, but were set free. That is from a newspaper article reporting the story at the time. So what what do you uh, what stands out for you in that? Uh, case mrs Minnie. i'm so i really want to understand the flames thing they're mm-hmm. like i'm still inclined i'm still inclined to think that this is probably this maybe is pranksters um i'm starting to think that maybe this is police officers that are doing this uh that are involved somehow um and i'm really puzzled by the flames thing still this is the piece i can't connect yet how are they doing so there was so uh the, one of the police officers in charge did go to a scientist and asked him to try and recreate a blue flame from using elements that were readily available to anybody. He was able to do that. Um, oh, he was. But he was able to create a blue flame. But he had to wear gloves that were fireproof. So for someone to have to do that, they would have to be mixing the, the elements there and at that time to light it for it to make the blue flame. But remember, she says in the statement, uh, Lucy Scales says in her statement that he blew the blue flame into her face. Right, so so it was like in his mouth. Yeah, so how is he administering it? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't get it. Yeah. Very, very, very strange. So um, a surgeon... Charles Pritchell wrote a report to the police stating 
that he visited Lucy Scales on the night of the attack and found her suffering from hysterics and agitation um, and in all probability, fright. They, they were a misogynistic lot, these... Uh, these yeah, they were. <laughs> That's true. Misogynist bastards. So Lucy Scales' case um, was overshadowed, actually, by the all-stop investigation in the press um, and the lack of witnesses played part of this, but mostly because of the class divide between the two victims. So Lucy Scales was, you know, a lower class servant girl. You know, her, her brother was a butcher, like living in Limehouse. And the Allsop family had land, again, like I mentioned, you know, were um, higher class. So therefore... Uh, not much was mentioned about Lucy Scales's case in the newspaper. It was massively overshadowed by the Allsop investigation. Got it. Fascism. Yeah. Shining through right there. That doesn't surprise me. No, not at all. So on the 28th of February, the same day of the Scales attack, the inquiry into the Allsop case took place. So the crowds were actually queuing like down the street as the interest in Spring Hill Jack had just snowballed at this point. Do you know what I mean? People were just, like, living for this um, inquiry. You know, it was the biggest thing to happen at the time. Um, you know, the Allsops were quite a renowned family, so to have this happen, it'd be no different than if Spring Hill Jack had attacked the Kardashians. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and that's, you see that, that uh, you see that still with true crime, that there's much more attention paid um, when it's, you know, someone who's wealthy or prominent or whatever uh, than you do when it's someone who's poor. Absolutely. So, um, and it wasn't only um, the conclusion of the case that everyone was so interested in, but the news that the police were to present two men who they suspected of committing the crimes. Mm. Oh. Mm. Are you ready for some juicy goss? I'm so ready. <laughs> Let's do it. One was a carpenter known as Mr. Milbank, and the other a master bricklayer called Mr. Payne. I mean, if you were going to be a killer or an attacker, you'd be called Mr. Payne, right? I, yeah, my money Payne... is Mr. Payne. <laughs> so Payne and Milbank were out shooting on the day of the attack, and in the evening had gone to the White Hart pub. Milbank had gotten so drunk, in fact, that his entire defence rested on the points that he was entirely unconscious on his way home and had no recollection of the night's events. The witness, Will Clark, identified them as the attackers. After encountering them in the street after the attack, he claimed how they had grabbed him and said, what do you think of Spring Hill Jack now? See, this now, doesn't line up with the other attacks to me. I don't think sure. that it's either of these men. So this is the only uh, evidence they have. They have another witness, but this okay. is the witness. Will Clark is saying that he was grabbed by them in the street after the attack had happened. And they had said to him, what do you think of Spring Hill Jack now? Which was really like... If, they, if they, they're not responsible for the attack, that's a really stupid thing to say. But again, you know, but they're Milbank drunk. Says in his defense, he's absolutely slaughtered. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. they're drunk. So, uh, this doesn't 
it doesn't seem to line up with the way that the attacker has behaved in the other cases. Mm-hmm. No, so I yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say that that I'm I'm comfortable with sort of putting these suspects on the back burner. I don't think we've found our guy quite yet. Okie dokie. So they both denied the accusations, claiming that they had heard the screams and had gone to help. Uh, the hearing concluded that Milbank and Payne had co- had cause for the highest suspicion and they were detained, but the entire investigation team were at a loss to how the attacker embroiled himself in a ball of blue flame. They couldn't, like, like I said to you, this police officer had gone to the scientist and tried to get him to make the flame, which he did, but... Also, it didn't quite work with the whole thing of emboiling yourself in a ball of flame, which is what um, the Allsop girl had said. So, you know, there was a huge, huge discussion about how was this attacker using flames and science in his um, horrible violent attack. Yeah, I really don't understand that. I'm on mm-hmm. the same page as the police here on that part. I'm just really puzzled by this this aspect of it. Um, how is he how is he doing this? Can we just start searching people's homes and figure out who has <laughs> a chain ma- a chainmail suit and devil horns and uh, you know the metal claws? It c- sure, couldn't be I that difficult because it was happening like all across London. They couldn't even start mm-hmm. to even think about what area this guy came from do you know what i mean remember right. that we, we know we know from our uh, jack the ripper talk that forensics were pretty much nothing like a no-go so th- remember this mm-hmm. is 40 years previous so um forensics were even more you know further back in in their um what's the word i'm looking for basically they were non-existent there was no such thing as forensics. right like and we just the technology did not yet possible. exist. No, yeah. absolutely, absolutely not. Okay. So, all right, fair enough. Fri- yeah, the following Friday, the um, the trial of Milbank and Payne concluded. Uh, Mr. Milbank still claimed that his defence was drunkenness. However, there was a new witness. Okay, Mr. Richardson, all a right. shoemaker, who was also on the street on the night of the attack. Um, gave evidence, but when it came to it, said that he couldn't positively identify Milbank or Payne as the man he saw. So the trial concluded that Milbank and Payne were innocent, but they would endeavour to investigate it further. Okay, I'm with this. I was, yeah, I had a good, I had a good feeling about them. They were just drunk. Maybe they said something about uh, Springheeled Jack, but I think that this was just the this was the booze talking. Absolutely, completely agree. Okay. So okay. throughout the following weeks, there were numerous appearances of Springheeled Jack throughout London. However, many were actually found to be hoaxes, feeding on the continued frenzy. Uh, some were just men dressed in white sheets scaring children whilst others were warned to quit their antics and be on their way. I love that. Knock it off. Quit your antics and be on your way. But knock it off, exactly. But these hoaxes 
were very frustrating for the police as they were fully aware that the real Spring Hill Jack was still out there and could attack at any time. So these uh, hoaxes and these pranks were just taking up police time and, you know, the resources that they had were just not being focused on where it needed to be. And that was to capture the real Spring Hill Jack. So spring uh, 1838, Spring Hill Jack started to spread his wings outside of London. And oh. by the end of May, he had been witnessed throughout the southeast of London, right down to the coast. And he even turned up in Brighton, which is maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes by train outside of London. So um, in one of the first reported sightings outside of the city of London was in Brighton. And it was a tale that was quite similar to the earliest reports. He was seen as a bear and an apparition that scared a local gardener before escaping over a wall. So that was the sighting in Brighton. Okay, I'm here in Brighton now. Yep, there we go. Looking so around. Found a nice house I'm in looking Brighton. around in Brighton. <laughs> I haven't found one yet. <laughs> there is some really nice I'm weighing my options. It looks lovely, though. Oh, Brighton is London by the sea. That is what they call London. Okay. Brighton, London by the sea. Okay, so, I like um, it. Some put it down to the supernatural <laughs> powers that Jack um, like possessed. Others uh, to the fact that his popularity now is more widespread and that tales of Spring Hill Jack were popping up all over the United Kingdom because of the press coverage he was getting. People were seeing okay. Spring Hill Jack in every shadow, in every corner, you know, in every, you know, behind every wall, in their back gardens, everywhere they were seeing Spring Hill Jack. It was becoming you know, like a, a cry for attention for some people. Some people might have seen something, but it wasn't anything related to that. But because it was so much in the psyche of the country at that time, that every shadow mm -hmm. scene, you know, in the darkest corner was Spring Hill Jack. I understand this. I understand this. But How at this time, at, right. Exactly. But at this time, it's actually quite strange because even though um, he was springing up around, um, Spring Hill Jack was slowly at this point starting to actually disappear from the headlines um, as like no longer like a sensationalist he once was. And in between the 1840s and the 1860s, the legend of um, Spring Hill Jack hit the cycle of, of like oral rumour interspersed with press coverage helping to fuel the rumours. Um, and it was keeping... Spring Hill Jack alive in the imagination of the nation. So it wasn't necessarily the incidences that were keeping Spring Hill Jack in the press. It was the rumor mill again. It was people talking about it. It was people bringing it up as a myth or a legend, or I think it was, you would call it, Mrs. Smitty, an urban legend. Sure. It does so seem at that this way. Point, yeah, at this point, Jack's attacks were sort of fading out. Uh, there wasn't that coverage of the attacks he was more becoming um dare i say a victorian pop culture icon sort of is, the boogeyman yes exactly so in, in this time um he was seen sporadically in many boroughs of london so in 1841 he attacked a young woman in camden 
attacking them in the most shameful manner and taking indecent liberties. That was what the paper said. Uh, this is what the press commented. Um, this was uh, one more of the direct hint of um, sexual assault made in the, Victoria, okay. in the Victorian press about this crime, which we're going to come to very heavily in a moment. But in 1845, Jack was again active in the capital, this time being accused of a murder. He breathed flames into the face of a prostitute called Maria Davis, then threw her from a bridge and into the River Thames. But this report does seem uh, to have um, no basis, in fact, whatsoever. In fact, many people do believe that this was just made up by a journalist to, to, to boost the, um, the to be, be a part the of the story, right? Sure, sure. However, this news was followed by more reported sightings until August 1877. So, uh, this is like 30 years later. One of the most notable reports about Spring Hill Jack came from a group of soldiers at Aldershot Barracks. Now, this is weird, okay. This story went as follows. A sentry on duty at the North Camp peered into the darkness, his attention attracted to a peculiar figure advancing towards him. The soldier issued a challenge which went unheeded and the figure came up beside him and delivered several slaps on his face. The guards shot at him with no visible effect. Some sources claim that the soldier may have fired blanks at him, others that he missed and fired warning shots. The strange figure then disappeared into the surrounding darkness with astonishing bounds. So oh, that was because how he's spring healed. Yeah. And you can't shoot him, apparently. So this is a new layer to it. So Lord yeah, Ernest Hamilton's uh, 1922 memoir, 40 Years On, mentions the older shot appearance of Spring Hill Jack. However, he uh, apparently says that they, occur, um, that they occurred in the winter of 1879 after his regiment, the 60th Rifles, had moved to Oldershot. And that similar appearance had occurred when the regiment was barracked in Colchester, in winter 1878. And Mrs. Smitty, we are up to the point where I can place myself in the story because I live in Colchester and that is where I first heard about Spring Hill Jack was his connection to the army barracks. Ah, so, so you have army I barracks there. Interested. Yes. Got so it. he also adds in this account that the panic came, became so great <clears throat> at Aldershot, the sentries were issued ammunition and ordered to shoot the night terror that's what they called it the night terror on site following which the appearances ceased hamilton thought that the appearances were actually pranks carried out by fellow officers um a lieutenant alfrey that's who they actually think a lieutenant alfrey was the person who was um basically pranking his friends uh, however there is no record of Alfrey ever being court-martialed for this offence. So, huh. Spring Hill Jack. Now moving from Victorian women to attacking barracks, 
What is he doing? I don't um, understand it. Yeah, in 1904, okay, now this is a long time, he made his last contribution to the press in England when he carried out an attack at, in Everton. Uh, in an account, the board, are, um, the board on property, he was seen to jump over terraced houses, um, after which he was never seen again. So, mm. um, going out with a whimper rather than a bang, his end was a, was a slow descent into legend and rumour. Now, I just want to go back um, and sort of set up. I know this was weird for me to do this now, but I just wanted to talk. I didn't want to give too much away about Spring Hill Jack um, appearances, which is why I want to do this now. So this is like the precedent of, you know, where Victorian London at the time that Spring Hill Jack sort of propped up. This is what they were thinking about when it came to ghostly apparitions. So. In the early 19th century, there were reports of ghosts that stalked the streets of London. These human-like figures were described as pale. It was believed that they stalked and preyed on lone pedestrians. And the stories told of these figures formed part of the district ghost tradition of London, which some writers have argued formed the foundation um, of the later legend of, of Spring Hill Jack. And the most important of these early... Um, of entities was the Hammersmith ghost which in 1803 and 1804 was reported in Hammersmith on the western fringes of London it would later reappear in 1824 another apparition the Southampton ghost uh, was also reported as assaulting individuals in the night this particular spirit bore many of the characteristics of Spring Hill Jack and was reported as jumping over houses and being over 10 foot tall no absolutely not <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. but these were happening like 20 30 years like before the legend of spring hill jack came about so I, I just wanted to give you like a little bit of basis that you know like spring hill jack even though you know the attacks were real everything was real around him the the legend the the spectre the the ghostly uh imagery was nothing new it had been around for a very long time at that point so um just going to go into the last yeah, part of this i mean uh, okay sure we have our do, do the last so, part and then we'll have a little discuss yeah so the last part so we've got um the aftermath and the impact on victorian like culture so the vast urban legend built around Spring Hill Jack influenced many aspects of Victorian life, especially in contemporary uh, popular culture. So for decades, especially in London, his name was equated to the boogeyman, who you said, as the means of scaring children into behaving themselves by telling them that if they got up to no good, then Spring Hill Jack would leap up and peer at them through the bedroom windows at night. However, it was the fictional entertainment where the legend of Spring Hill Jack exerted the most extensive influence owing to his allegedly extraordinary nature. Three pamphlet publications uh, based on the real life events appeared almost immediately in January and February 1838. They were not advertised as fiction, though they likely 
were at least partly so. Uh, the, all, and only known copies uh, were reported to have perished in the British Library when it was hit during the Blitz, but their catalogue still lists of having the very first one. So these publications like Penny Dreadful, um, like, you know, that, those sort of um, horror magazines, ghost stories that they used to publish in the Victorian era, Springhill Jack became quite a popular character in those. But unfortunately, there's not a single issue that still exists, which is very sad. And the character was written into a number of Penny Dreadful stories uh, during the late, latter half of the 19th century, initially as the villain, and then increasingly as a, an heroic, heroic role in the story. So by the early um, sort of 1900s, he was being represented as a costumed avenger of wrongs and protector of the innocent, effectively becoming the precursor to like pulp fiction and then comic, comic book superheroes. Huh. I was thinking immediately I drew a correlation between the, uh, are you familiar with the book, the BFG? Yes. Well done. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I, I immediately drew a correlation. He's like a bad version of the BFG. Like he's the big unfriendly giant. Yeah. <laughs> the big unfriendly giant. But like who Speaking was in your window? The, yeah, I mean that's terrifying. I remember the animated version of the BFG. Do you remember that version? No, I read the, the book to my daughter when she was very little. Oh wow, there's a I think it's the nineties. There's a nineties animated version of BFG. It's beautiful, but the actual giants, like the bad giants in it, are terrifying. They gave me nightmares when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. That's how I imagine like Spring Hill even in the book <laughs> even in the book they're very terrifying yeah and that's what i instantly mm. thought of um maybe they really do there really are bad giants in the uk i might not put a bid in on this house quite yet <laughs> until, until we figure it out but mrs me so who was spring hill jack like was he a man or a demon a criminal or an anti-establishment rogue uh there is much evidence to say that he uh, was all of the above and that these qualities um, have allowed him to become a legend that has lasted for so long. And Spring Hill Jack embodied, embodied supernatural aspects as well as common criminal, criminality. Uh, and he blurred the lines between reality and fiction. Um, this is the point that I really wanted to hit upon. We've said that, but we've heard throughout this discussion about how the Victorians treated the victims and how they would swoon and faint and, you know, basically would play on the fact that the women's mental health was affected and not necessarily on the attack itself. So his attacks caused physical harm to his victims. There are um, dark possibilities to the nature of his attacks. One theory is that many of the women victims were scared into fits or hysteria, so as not having to appear publicly to explain how they were sexually assaulted by their asylum. Yeah. I could understand that. Yeah. Particularly in that time, Mm -hmm. it seems like a thing that you would not want to be uh, known to the public. And so by, um, you know, by carrying on with your hysterics, then nobody's going to ask you any more questions. And you can keep those mm-hmm. parts of the story 
uh, safely secret. Yeah, yeah, and what sort of um, so in the age where women were not necessarily allowed to talk about sex in public, whether it's exactly. consensual or not, uh, like being scared into a fit is a, a way of them to allude to the fact or dodge it altogether, um, you know, that they were uh, raped. Right. And this is also like the era of victim shaming. So a woman out alone at night in a shady area would certainly have her character questioned. Um, and, you know, when viewed through like this lens, the attacks of Spring Hill Jack, um, like his character, you're, you're steered away from him being a lovable prankster um, to becoming something much, much less palatable. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, in, mm-hmm. in the early part of the story, I really believe that maybe it was just, you know, some folks playing a joke. Um, but it seems less likely uh, as the story progresses. Mm-hmm. In short, spring Jack was the embodiment of many fears real, social, and imagined, and he was the product of gossip, uh, surveillance culture, restrictive laws, lifestyles, and belief systems. Um, He was as real as the next story told in newspapers or at the local pub. And there is actually a little rhyme about him, which I'd uh, like to finish the lecture on before we have a discussion. All right, wonderful. I, I came from pandemonium if they like me, I'll come back. Meanwhile, around the town, I'll jump Spring Hill Jack. Oh, I don't like that. I mean, I like it, but it's creepy. <laughs> it is. Creepy. And there we go, Mrs. Smitty. Um, unfortunately, we have as many, as much answers as when we first started. But that is yes. the legend of Spring Hill Jack. I hate an unsolved crime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, but I'll allow it this time. I'll allow it. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose last time when we were talking about Jack the Ripper, we spoke about many of the uh, the people that had been, you know, accused of the crimes, and we and we sort of liked the idea, didn't we, that it was the Queen's surgeon. Uh, William I decided Gold, that it was who, the Queen's surgeon. Yeah. Yeah, William Gold. Yep, but I chose this, him. It's almost impossible to pin down. I mean, it's it's impossible to pin down whether the what <laughs> the attacker was human or not, right? You know, so even to e- try and even guess about whether he was uh, who he was is impossible when we don't even know what he was. Right. I'm not generally much for the supernatural, right? Like I'm inclined to figure that there's a logical explanation for most of the things that people think of as ghosts and whatnot. But I don't know. Mm. It's different over there. Well, one of our uh, lovely listeners actually posed a question to us. Uh, did we think that Spring Hill Jack was more supernatural or technological? So did you think that maybe he just had more advanced technology than they yeah, were used to at that time? Maybe he was just a bad guy who figured out how to breathe his blue flame uh, and yeah. wanted to run around and use it to terrorize people. Exactly. And also, Spring Hill Jack is used very much in um, steampunk. You know the steampunk uh, 
sort of Victorian yeah. era steampunk look and stories. Uh, Spring Hill Jack is definitely um, an idol in those in that society. So I think I can that, look it up now, huh? Yeah, <clears throat> I think that if you look at um, technology and you know how that works in the steampunk community, I think you could definitely tie in Spring Hill Jack's links to having more advanced, you know, gadgets than the average Victorian did. You know, and who, yeah. who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe he was just a bad superhero. You know, maybe he was just mm-hmm. someone who'd worked out how to do these things. Because the main, the main things about him that, you know, remain unexplained, not necessarily unexplained to who he was, but unexplained to what he was, was that he could jump very high and could breathe right. fire. How could he do so, those things yeah. if he was human? Nowadays, they were probably, it's very, probably very easy to uh, be able to manipulate and do that. Do you know what I mean? But, um, you know, back then, we're talking nearly 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, do, do you, um, do you subscribe to the, um, the theory that maybe the women, like, uh, all the reports that were coming in of women being sort of disturbed by these attacks were due to the attacks being more of a sexual nature. Yeah, I think it's that. And also just like the trauma of, you know, someone trying to, um, you know, attack you in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could see that. I, now that I'm looking at all of these, these artists renderings of this spring heeled Jack, mm-hmm. <sighs> It's my first inclination always to believe this was like a human, some sort of uh, like a, a human who just knew how to breathe fire and jump far somehow. Because mm. um, I don't really believe in, you know, ghosts and things like that and, and monsters, I suppose. But and also the strong possibility that it wasn't the same person. Is also I also think that out there. I also think that. Yeah. Once, because once there's publicity around it, like they said, uh, that, you know, there were people that were, um, you know, making sort of copycat pranks and things like that. So, yeah, there's lots of people that are uh, inclined to do those sorts of things to to try to uh, get some attention by, you know, mimicking this criminal. I'm not sure. Because it, this is a sure, well, if you go back to the, the Lucy Scales case you know of the girl who um was leaving her brother's house with her sister and had the the flame blown in her face and then uh, had a seizure um the sister who witnessed the whole thing reported that jack never laid his hands on her at all Mm -hmm. so if you know if we're going um with the presumption that a lot of the spring hill jack's attacks were sexually motivated that one may have been at first but i think that maybe the situation didn't go the way that he planned it and he had to make a, an escape or he mistimed something i mean he did was blowing fire in the poor girl's face which you know there's a lot of things that i think went wrong with that attack i'm not entirely sure whether that actually went the way that he meant it to go right but Huh. Yeah, if you go even if you go right to the all stop case, you know if if she hadn't been rescued by her sister, um, then what would have happened? What would have happened? 
yeah. And there's always that in in every article they they mention the ripping of the clothing. The ripping of the clothing, you know, that's a very prominent regular well, right and happen. so we can sort of connect the dots as to what was to happen next after the ripping of the clothing part and perhaps mm-hmm. because this is victoria in england we're talking about they just don't really address it in all of the reporting no no that's Got it. it you know and i do think again Ugh. another another element of the case that brings us to um that it wasn't the same person was the fact that um, you've got Jones, who was attacked. Uh, that's all we know him as is Jones, the guy who was the powerful man who fought back, uh, had his clothes ripped, torn to ribbons, uh, but he was a male. So, you know, that shows that it could have been somebody else, could have been someone different, maybe a copycat who was trying to recreate the attack, but didn't know the motivation behind them. So, and it was kept out of the press. I mean, obviously there's the language, but they don't mention anything about sexual assault, but then they wouldn't in Victorian London because it just was not spoken about publicly at all. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, um, are you looking at the images of Spring Hill Jack, Miss Smitty? I am, yes. (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) I'm Okay. I don't, um, like I said, I don't really believe in like the monster type of things. So uh, a lot of these are, you know, very supernatural looking. Um, I think as something becomes sort of the stuff of legends like this, then the the drawings and depictions get more fantastical. So um, yeah, the the images here that I'm looking at uh, make it seem kind of like a fairy tale, like in one of them. A, like a dark fairy tale in one of them it looks like he's sort of uh flying through the air with a woman um and things mm. like that so sure but i can see how this would be terrifying at the time yeah well, well any of our listeners that have listened uh please do go and have a look on the good old google and have a look and just see the images that are on there of spring hill jack just to give you a little bit of uh insight to what the papers and the artists were you know suggesting could have been going on in that case um should we hit some messages mrs smitty very quickly let's do it get... sure excellent i'll try and uh, i'll have my finger at the ready <laughs> okay wonderful Oh, I don't know why I didn't moderate the messages. <laughs> it's okay. From the United Kingdom. Ah. <laughs> it's lots you of You got kiddos. a friend in me. Can't hear you, my friend. Is it mistakes? Do you think that Spring Hill Jack and Jack the Ripper are the same person just... Hill Jack looked to see what he could get away with, and then Jack the Ripper actually did what he knew. Oh, what do you think, Miss Kitty? Mm. Same person? Yeah, they don't seem, they don't know. I don't think they're the same person at all. No, because it doesn't seem like, so. There's 40 years between, so you know, Spring Hill, like he would have had to be in his 60s, which is not, I suppose, not unheard of, seeing that our theory about Jack the Ripper is, uh, 
that it's the position of the Queen and he was in his sort of late late sixties, early seventies. So it's not unheard of, but no, I don't think it's the same person. Yeah, it's a very I different think... style to me. Like yeah. they don't seem to be to have the same approach or uh methods or anything like that. Well that's another reason why I think that uh Spring Hill Jack seemed to uh dissipate from the press around that time because Jack the Ripper sort of did steal the headlines from him. Sure, so of course. Well, and you know, I can understand why because the Jack the Ripper one, you know, like a clearer pattern and all of this. Uh, and yeah. it seems, and and he was killing from straight away. So, uh, yeah. you know, it becomes instantly scarier. It never looks like a prank, not from the first day. Absolutely. I agree. You guys are amazing i know that's what he was gonna do say. you agree with influencers paul <laughs> wow we're getting so <coughs> wow oh my goodness ew wow. bro ew bro can't play <laughs> miss mitty look at my profile <laughs> hey, do you guys know what coochie snot is? Ew. Wow, we're getting so many questions about Spring Hill Jack. I don't know what that was about, but anyway, hi Keith Andrews 2020. Hi, Mrs. Smitty. How are you guys doing? Hope y'all are having a productive and bright day today. Shadow out. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Shadow Sun. Hello. Schnozcumbers. Schnozcumbers. Oh, the Schnozcumbers. Yay. I loved that book. Nine Eleven was fake. I mean, bye. Um, question for you: Considering um, how, like, this is assuming that he's a man. How do you reckon? Do you think he was of the higher or at least wealthier classes? Because how would he um, travel, like you said, to Brighton? Surely that would have been a decent amount of money back then. And all the gadgets he'd need to, like, all the futuristic jumping off of buildings. And do you not think he would have had to be a more wealthier class? What do you yeah, think? Like a, yeah, I, I, well, and I, like I had said, I thought maybe he was police or perhaps military or something like that. Because you did say, like, they... They line up with some military bases, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Also, what and do, you, what, do you think the wager um, sort of theory was null and void, or do you think that there was that held some water? No, that that, that was believable to me, um, and it would seem like maybe some, you know, like a wealthy or more, um, you know, uh, like I'm thinking of like military secret agent types who have access to uh, sort of weaponry and things that the average person would not. So maybe they have a way that they could breathe flames and make their eyes appear to be red balls of fire. Uh, and, you know, maybe this is some sort of a wager uh, between some of these folks that have access to uh, the, the needed components to create this sure. sort of persona. I could go sure. with that. See, when I, when I, yeah, definitely. When I always think of a wager, I always think of like sort of university kids. Do you know what I mean? Like university students that sort of egg each other on and 
you know, but obviously the tech and everything around that time would have been, and also university students back then were loaded, you know, were had a lot of money. So, uh-huh. um, you know, there's loads of different theories, but I like your theory about people actually being able to get hold of technology or, or things that could have actually caused the effect that Spring Hill Jack had on the flame and the jumping and everything. That's really interesting. I've, I've watched a lot of Scooby-Doo. And often, <laughs> and often this is who ends up being the culprit. It's someone, someone who has the, you know, like a laboratory where they create this sort of technology and they make it appear that there is a ghost in the lighthouse, but there's not really a ghost in the lighthouse. And so I would be inclined to think maybe this did start out as some sort of a prank or a bet or, you know, it was some, and then it just sort of took on a life of its own. Sure. Sure. Well, Mr. Smitty, unfortunately, I know you hate it, but I don't think we're going to find out. But I think I don't think so either. With Spring Hill Jack, I would say um, it's one of those occasions where the journey is worth the ride, not necessarily the end. So absolutely. And now I can tell you, I will probably spend a couple hours reading more about this and learning about it. There has to have been. This would be the. yeah. This would be the best Scooby Doo episode. The best. <laughs> All that I, I really think. Do it. I reckon they, they they've never made like a proper film about Spring Hill Jack. What I would say, guys, if there's anything else, if there's any um, of you interested in learning more about Spring Hill Jack, uh, I did a lot of my research going through um, like the the files that you can get on London's uh, ministries and things like that. You can go to um, press websites there's loads of them on there uh, open press is one of them where you can find like newspaper articles uh you can go on the london libraries there's loads of places that you can go on but what i will say is there's a company called the wireless theater company and um they have produced an audio drama uh, based around spring jack and it's really good i listened to it probably for the third time in um preparation for this talk and it's it's you know it's everything you want it's uh, funny it's an adventure but it ties up with the legend of spring hill jack and it's really interesting uh so yeah it's an audio drama so um yeah if there's anything close to being any sort of film or any media made about spring hill jack it's going to be this audio play because it's brilliant really really interesting i would say go and check that out and also if you really if you're i definitely will um there is some stuff on youtube there's some stuff on podcasts uh about it i've listened to probably about 13 14 podcasts uh made notes from them watched a couple of things on youtube about it i like to try and get the thing with me is i like to try and get dates and and um you know things like that exactly right because like i said before and i didn't give the disclaimer this time and i'm feeling a little bit bad about it but um if, is it all right if i give it now Mr. Very of quickly, course please do disclaimer. Um, you know, we're talking about these things um, in hindsight. We're talking about, you know, something that, that for us seems like a very, very long time ago. But there were actual people, you know, harmed and and killed in these events. So, um, you know, I, I, I try and honour those people by getting my facts as close to correct as possible by doing a lot of research. But please do remember that when you listen to these true crime podcasts, especially with Mrs. Smitty, who is like the queen of true crime on stereo. Um, 
just always have in the back of your mind that these stories, you know, have affected real people and real people have been through like terrible things because of the, of the people that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really is important. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of sort of fandom in the true crime community. That's very troubling to me. Um, there's no such, I don't think anybody should have a favorite uh, serial killer or anything like that, but people often uh, message me and ask me just those sort of questions. Who's your favorite serial killer? Uh, there's no such yeah. thing. These are terrible people that have committed terrible, uh, atrocious crimes. And so I think it's really important uh, never to lose sight of the fact that there are actual victims uh, in these stories. And those are the ones that uh, we should be considering. And none of these people are to be glorified uh, or held up in any sort of high regard. No, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm, dang it, I didn't do that beforehand, but I'm, at least I've got to get it out. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Well, it is important. That is, that is Spring Hill Jack. I have got an absolute cracking mystery for you next time when we can arrange it. I tell you what, it's, it's, it's just brilliant. It's one that is. I'm ready for it. And in fact, I'm going to approve that one. Um, I know it's already on my schedule and I'm approving it right now because I cannot wait to do it. And I'm going to make sure this time works for me. Oh, excellent. Because I can't wait. Well, well, if there's any, if you need to change it, just let me know. Oh yeah. I'll reach out to you. So I can. um, Yeah. Yeah. So please join us next time on stereo mystery um, where where we're going to be looking at the Dyatlov Pass incident. Um, And I just want you to just warn you all that um, I'm going to try my best, but this is going to involve a hell of a lot of Russian names. So I'm going to yes. try and do them, and do them as much as We're going to do a bad job with can. them. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how we're going to do with the names, but we're going to try our best. We're going to tell the story. I pro- if we have I to pro- Americanize do, some of the names or yeah, Englishize them. Um, what does it do? Uh, phonics. I might phonic the name. That's fine. So I could that's but, uh, yeah so that is on the 11th of february guys please do come and join us for the next uh, stereo mysteries um mrs smitty thank you so much for um for taking part and um, you're probably sick of my voice now so <laughs> not at all how could i get sick of your voice uh thank you keith andrew this has been so much fun and um i will talk to you tomorrow about something entirely <sighs> different oh my word I can't believe it. It's Friday already. Tomorrow's Friday. Tomorrow's Friday. I had to question it. Tomorrow's is tomorrow Friday? Friday? Yeah, please, it do, is. please, please do join us um, tomorrow at, at six o'clock. I can't even. I can't even remember how to say. It. So I'm just gonna give us a follow. We are um, Keith Andrew and I. Keith Andrew and I are doing an ongoing series. Uh, we're calling it America 101, where I'm teaching Keith Andrew about the ins and outs of American politics, and tomorrow. We are taking a very special episode to talk about uh, the QAnon uh, conspiracy theory phenomenon that has swept our country. I'm both excited and scared. This is a correct. This is a correct uh, sort of reaction to what's to come. <laughs> right, Mr. Smith. Thank you so much. I really look forward to talking to you tomorrow. I'm going to have a cup of tea and hit the hay. But I hope you have the great rest of your day. Thanks, Keith Andrew. Good night to you. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. 
thank you so much for joining us here at the Films I Love Most podcast live. Don't forget, you can get involved on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to send us an email with any suggestions or recommendations, you can send those to filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. Thank you very much and I hope that you join us next time here at the Films I Love Most podcast. (laughs) 